0: Good morning. Uh, My name is Nicole Fitz, and please follow along with me
1: in the reading of God's Word from Joshua chapter 14, verses 1 through 15. Is that better? Okay. Okay, Joshua chapter 14, verses 1 through 15. Now these are the territories which the sons of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, and Joshua, the son of Nun, and the heads of the households of the tribes of the sons of Israel, apportioned to them for an inheritance, by the lot of their inheritance, as the Lord commanded through Moses, for the nine tribes and the half-tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the, and the half-tribe beyond the Jordan, But he did not give an inheritance to the Levites among them. For the sons of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And they did not give a portion to the Levites in the land, except cities to live in with their pasture lands for their livestock and for their property. Thus the sons of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded Moses, and they divided the land. Verse 6. Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me, in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word, I brought word back from him As it was in my heart, nevertheless, my brethren, who went up with me and made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord, my God, fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever. Because you have followed the Lord, my God, God, fully. Now behold, the Lord has let me live. Just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke to the, this word to Moses, when Israel walked in the, in the wilderness, and now, behold, I am 85 years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now. For war and for going out and coming in. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. Verse 13. So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and the Kenizzite until this day, because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, for Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land has rest from war. God bless the reading of his word.
0: Blessing to see each one of you here this morning just uh, God is gracious, God is working in our midst, and he's doing wonderful things in and through us, as well as uh, individually, and working in Don and Gary's life uh, as well, uh, many other people's lives. We heard this week, the uh, last uh, two weeks here, that two of our sisters have cancer problems, and we're concerned for them, we're praying for them, and uh, we're all in this together, experiencing God in real life in a way that... We can trust him fully and wholly. And let's see, do we have a slide up yet? Let's put that up. All right. So I am going to try to use slides this morning for PowerPoint to go through this. Um, I have a bit of a bias in this area. For me, I'm probably more of a learner that uh, has has to do with uh, seeing things as a opposed to hearing, so I think that people, if you see something, then you hear it as well. It'll stick in your mind a little bit better. Please don't worry about all of the sound things. Uh, my son Jonathan's back here. He's coming. He's going to try to help us work out a few of our problems, the demons in, in the sound system and so forth, but uh, just keep keep with it, because Jesus is here, and we're coming here to worship him today to the best of our ability. and. We're, we're talking about uh, Joshua chapter 14, thank you Nicole for reading that, and by the way, the others of you who are helping read this, these passages, is a great blessing to us. And as we learned last week, how the passage was read actually helped us know how to better interpret the passage. So in our reading, it's, it is a, definitely a real ministry in how we read the scripture, so thank you for participating in that ministry with us here. So... Today, chapter 14 has a big idea as God has already blessed. God is then faithful to reward those people who are faithful to him. And especially as we see uh, Caleb as one of wholehearted uh, service to the Lord all of his life. And I have a few things here. This is a, a slide of the promised land. And I bring this up because when Dave Gossett gave the first message, kind of the overview of Joshua, then we have to, we cannot but go back to the Abrahamic covenant, way back in Genesis 12, when God gave the, the covenant that he's going to have land, seed, and blessing, that came to the Jewish people who, who um, uh, Caleb, or I mean uh, Moses represented, and here it is, we're, we're seeing today a fulfillment of that promise given. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. Then in Genesis 15, actually in this chapter, in this verse that's given right here, this land was given and the, the land was large. It went from the Nile River down there in Egypt all the way up to the Euphrates River in Babylon, what's well, today Iraq and so forth. And I guess you could draw a land straight between the two points. It even takes like Saudi Arabia and so forth, but it's a huge piece of land, uh, definitely there. And so then the, the land, as Dave Gossett was mentioning, represents something. The promised land is not heaven. So many people and a lot of songs that we sang back in the old days singing hymns talked about go to the promised land, the land of Canaan is going to heaven. Well, in fact, really it doesn't represent that. It's not a metaphor of heaven, but it is a, a metaphor of the faith rest life, which is uh, reco- recorded for us in the book of Hebrews. So if you do have your Bible or turn to your, uh, you could turn into whatever, you know, iPad or phone or something like that. Hebrews chapter four, verses one through three here. I want to uh, read that for us here as we look at the promised land, which we're gonna talk about. It's gonna be divided up today uh, in this chapter. And it was promised to Abraham way back when. Then David came through it for more. But here it is. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since the promise of inheriting his rest, God's rest, still stands. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also had had the gospel preached to us just as they did, the unbelievers. Actually, it's referring back to the Israelites who wandered for 40 years in the wilderness and died in, in the wilderness there. But the message they heard was not of value to them. Why it wasn't of value to them? Because those who heard it, they knew full well that uh, the land God had already promised them to go and to take it to them, that they did not combine it with faith. The issue of faith so critical to this. Now we who have uh, believed, have entered that rest. We are Christians. We have entered that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on uh, uh, oath in my anger, they shall not enter my rest. And those people of that generation indeed did die in the wilderness. Even Moses was succumbed to that issue. Only two people, only Joshua and Caleb made it out of, through 40 years and into the promised land. They could have taken it 40 years beforehand, but they didn't because they didn't mix it with faith. Today, we as Christians, our, our heaven is already there. God promised the land of Canaan, that huge land, especially this, this smaller area of land here, he promised it to them hundreds of years, 500 plus years before it was theirs. In fact, as, as Dave Johnson talking about this concept of God's eternal decree or his plan for, for creation, plan for all time, even before time began, that was in God's mind. He had this plan and then he, in time he had had Abraham come up from the land of Babylon or Ur, the Chaldees come up there and has given, granted this land that would be 500 years later than the Israelite people had actually taken it. It was already theirs. It's a done deal. It's never going to be not the, not the Jewish people's land. It is theirs to this day and it will be to, for at least another thousand and seven years at least that that land belongs to the Jewish people by God's granting but are they in the land or not that is a matter of faith we have eternal salvation it's a done deal our problem is staying in the land for us staying in fellowship are you and I, are we staying in fellowship day by day are we experiencing God's gracious God's fruitfulness God's movement leading in our lives that's staying in land by faith That's don't waver in faith like those guys did who went into the land, saw that, and it was good. They knew it already in their heads. The word of God had already said, it is your land, Jewish people. It belongs to you. All you have to do is step into it. God will do the fight. He will take it on. This day, we are in a fight. Sorry to say, we we are in crisis in our church. We all know that. COVID's on us, Gary and Don's situation, others other issues that are going on in our midst, we are in crisis here. It is a matter for us of faith. Are we moving out and moving forward in faith? Are we laying back, wavering in unbelief? Today, maybe Caleb, this story about Caleb has a message for us to encourage us. It has been an exciting thing for, like all of the other men who prepared messages, they didn't know what they're gonna say, really, when they stood up, before they came up here to preach, But God ministered to them, brought a message, and we have seen God work marvelously through these messages to this point. Today, we get to go into chapter 14 and move on. Let's pray and then get into the text. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great faithfulness. Thank you that you are indeed in control of all things, including Gary and Don's life and their future. It hurts us terribly to see their situation. Oh, Father God, we know that you're a loving God. We know that you are indeed in control. There is not one minute, not one thing that is out of control. We rest in that. We believe that, not just by the book, what it says, but because it's the book, because who you are, you're unchanging. We latch onto that. We grasp onto that. And this day, we once again come before you, with expectant hearts. What are you going to teach us this day at this worship service? Thank you for giving us a book of Joshua to be working in these these weeks and months here. It is a blessing from you to us. We are expectant. Holy Spirit, lead and guide in and however you want, speak to us on an individual basis, cause us to more be more men and women of faith, cause us to be more expectant of, of encountering you and sharing this good word to other people. Lord Jesus. Help us to be wholehearted in our uh, devotion to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage is pretty well broken into two sections. And uh, so as you go down through it, as you read it, it goes pretty easy. Uh, Verses 1 through 6, and then then, uh, on the latter part, 1 through 5, then from 6 to 15, it it breaks down very easily. And then if you go through an outline, it's even easier if you just... Look in your Bible, every Bible that you look into, it almost breaks it down this way. I just followed it because that's a natural breakdown. It helps us to work through it. And it's, it's cool because the first part there just talks about God and giving this, the promised land to the people. And then Caleb is a big, he's the hero, the main, main actor of the story. Verses 6 through 15, it's all about him. And that actually breaks down really easily as well because he requests his inheritance and then Joshua gives it to him. So it's pretty easy uh, just going through the text that way to find out that. So we'll just maintain that and move on. And like I just showed you a picture about the promised land, well indeed it covers, encompasses approximately 300,000 square miles. Now, that's a lot bigger than today's Israel. Some of you have been over to Israel, and Israel is so many, like hundreds, some miles long and or less than 100 miles wide, I think. So it's not very big. But actually, the land that they did conquer, maybe, uh, at this point, is about 6,500 square miles. So, actually, what we think about Israel and the division of the promised land, which we see in this text here, the dividing up the parcel of the land, is about 6,500 square miles of this 300,000 square miles piece of property. But the focus is on this part uh, here. And as you look at uh, verse one, as we just read it, they they went in and they received an inheritance. And received the verb there is past tense. The first thing you see, it's a past tense. That reminds us that that land was already given. Like I just said, the land, the, the land of Canaan, the promised land, God gifted it with hundreds of years ago by Abraham, and now it's just they're coming. They've gone through seven years of war, and now they're ready to take and divide that land up into uh, 12 divisions, and there it is. So it's a type of thing where here it comes, mentions a high priest first. Now that is interesting because Joshua, he's the king leader. He's the guy that's that's calling all the shots, but in this context, they are now ready to actually divide the land. They've conquered basically all of the... the, uh, Enemies in the land, and now they're ready to divide the land. Well, there's in Chinese maybe because you study it and it feels better, more fresh, or something new. It's called Shengdi. That means holy land. What do we call Palestine? We call it the holy land, and it is in fact holy. When we think about the land of Palestine, that piece of property is not just like uh, you know go to go over to Seattle. Or, say, we go to Mount Rainier. It's a very nice, beautiful place. I was just there a couple, three weeks ago, enjoying it and so forth. I wouldn't call that holy. Now, it could be to some people, but from a biblical perspective, Washington State is not a holy place. And the more we live here, the more we kind of know that and get that. But the idea that this land in Israel, this is a holy land. And you don't mess with it. It belongs to a holy God. A holy God created that piece of property, actually a holy God in eternity past already booked out this piece of property to save it for his holy people, right? The Jews are his holy people. Now we are his holy bride, but as an ethnic group we are not holy in, in any, any major thing. But the Jewish people are his, his holy people to this very date. So they, the holy people, are now getting ready to receive the holy inheritance, the holy land, and it requires Eliezer, the high priest, he's listed first because it's a holy thing, operation that's going on here. It's not just some governmental thing going through protocol, bureaucracy, getting their job done. No, this is a holy thing. Bring the priest in. They're going to have a convocation, a big prayer, probably a big, if you're in Chinese context, whole big ceremony to do it. I don't know, but with them, it's bring in the priest, and it's a holy thing to process. And then Joshua comes in second because he's the representative, the military guy, he's the governmental guy, he's the the man moving everyone administratively. So he comes and follows in behind Eliezer because of this spiritual kind of an idea. So how did they end up getting the pieces of land? Well, we lived in Macau, as, as David says. We lived in Macau for many years. It's gambling capital of the world. We love to gamble, so cast the lots, you know. Well, no, in this context, it has nothing to do with gambling. So don't go down that rabbit trail and preach about gambling out of this passage. It's really not there. But the idea of casting lots is told was told to Eliezer and Joshua by God himself, we're going to cast lots for this thing because when we cast lots it's helping us in our context there's a theology in back of it Proverbs talks about that and gives the background for God's mentality about casting the lots we're not gambling in this situation we're discerning God's will and allowing God to direct his His way and his work in the division of this land and as you know when we have children at the home and we are dividing the cake or the cookies or even the muffins uh, up to the four kids, well, you just don't randomly do this. You've got to do it exactly right. Correct, David? He's he's a watchdog on this stuff. He was the youngest, so he was very careful. We did this fairly. So there's no way we're getting, if somebody's getting a bigger spot and more spot or whatever, this thing is... God is not allowing anybody behind our backs to gripe about this in the days to come. We're not going Joshua's not got his fingers in this thing. We're just following God, allowing God to do this. Our, somewhat arbitrary, except behind the scene God is in. If you want to blame somebody, blame God. Don't blame Eliezer, or don't blame Joshua in this thing. Just, here's what God is going to lead in our midst. So, that's what happened. Now, last week Tim did an excellent job. That guy he is such a good expositor, He's so young and able to do this thing. is very helpful. He talked about on the east side of Jordan, which I guess is going to be that way, south of us over here. So there were two tribes, which Reuben and Gad, they received full portion of land. And then Manasseh is one tribe, but somehow they split it in half. So that's why it says two and a half tribes. In this text, it goes on down here to say, the heirs was assigned by Lot to nine and a half tribes. Well, that's how many were left because on the other side, the east side of the Jordan, where they had already loaded, commanded Moses, Moses granted two and a half tribes to get the land on the east side, which is already done. So we've got a half a tribe there. They've already received their portion. All right, we well, can deal with that. But then as we go on, we think, okay, now, how many sons did Jacob have? Do they have five? How many do they have? Come on, come on, tell me. How many apostles are there? There are 12. Well, why are there 12 apostles? Because there are 12 tribes of Israel, right? Well, Jacob had 12 sons. So we know, and then actually this gives the order here. The, number one is Reuben. He's the oldest guy. He was born first. And then it goes all the way on down to Joseph, the youngest one who got thrown you know, in the pit and then got sold out to Egypt. And Egypt for a long time became this great leader. So, we know about the, the land, or who, who the people are here, and these are the people who are going to, they're, all of their relatives that have come behind them, they're going to get a parcel of the, of the land here to be broken up. So, please, first of all, notice my line, lines that I have up here. Reuben goes to number four over there. That's Judah. Everybody knows about Judah, right? Who's David's clan? Who's David associated with? Judah, and who's Jesus associated with? He's a tribe of Judah. And if you've seen the lion, and the lion or the what's which, what, how do you say all that? Okay, you all read the stories? Okay, well, that, that's a picture of Jesus because he's from the tribe of, Ju, of Judah, the, the ruler there. And why would he be the ruler since he's the fourth son? Hmm, that shouldn't be. Okay, then we look down uh, the next one, and we see another line going down, I have Levi going all the way down to Manasseh, and I do that because Manasseh takes Levi's place. Because last week we heard Levi, they're a holy tribe, they're a spiritual tribe, they're the priests, they don't get a piece of the land. So his part of the land goes over to Manasseh, he'll take the land there. Okay, so that's kind of a little bit of a background there. Now, on this one, we're going to talk about Reuben. Because... It is very significant in verse 6 here, as we look at verse 6, that when they come to the division of the actual land, it says, and now then the men of Judah approached. And this should not be. This should say, and now then the men of Reuben come to get the division of the land. It by right should say that because Reuben is the firstborn of the twelve... 12 sons. So Reuben, right by right, he should be getting the double portion. The birthright belongs to him, and because he's the has a birthright, then he gets a double portion. That's That was the Jewish law, the Jewish culture. That's, that's the way he did it, and many, many different uh, lands have that to this day. So what I'm trying to bring out here is that Judah, because he had... Immoral relationships with his father, with Jacob's wife, Billa, was one of his concubines, actually a wife. He went to bed with her while his dad was still alive. He went to bed with her, and because of committing that sin of adultery with his father's wife, he was taken away, his birthright was taken away from him. A huge punishment in their eyes, in this culture. And the reason the first son would get the birthright, two things. One is that the authority flowed down from the father to the oldest son. Like for me, I'm the oldest son in my family. I had a younger brother. So whatever the inheritance would go to me, I am a spokesman for the Mayhew family kind of type of thing. Now, because, just because I'm the oldest born son in the Jewish family, Reuben had that authority, so the power, the authority, the rulership, so to speak, would go through Reuben on down. That, he gave up when he sinned, and that rulership moved over to Judah. Which, Judah was a fourth son, he shouldn't have gotten that, but that's where it moved. Judah got the rulership. And we see how that, then, in history, how that works out. Jesus coming, and one day Jesus is going to come back, and he is going to rule as a rod of iron, in the land of Israel for a thousand years of millennium time, and it's, he is going to be there, the king, dwelling in the kingdom with his host of people under him. There. That's the rulership. But, now, there's another part of that. He gets a double portion of inheritance. And why would a son be unequally given an inheritance? Like, I'm dividing all, my, all our things with our four boys equally. We're not, nobody's getting less or more. They're getting four. Because in our culture, there's a situation where my oldest son, Stephen, when I die, he will not be responsible financially to take care of Diana or his three younger siblings. He's not responsible. But in the Jewish people, their concept was the oldest son, when the father dies, the oldest son takes care of the dad's wife, wives, concubines, children, servants, land, everything that he has accumulated, That son taking it over, he is now responsible, and he needs some income to support that. He needs income for his own life, that's for sure, but he also needs income for taking care of his dad's part. So that's kind of the reason why we have this idea of more land and a double portion of the land. So with Judah, we get authority, or the rulership comes through, But with the land, it goes down to Manasseh here. We'll see that in a few minutes. So we read here, and we just read about Manasseh, half the tribe, (coughs) half of the tribe of Manasseh. But then we're going to ask ourselves (coughs) in a minute, well, why did Manasseh get two pieces? As we think about the land that Manasseh gets, he got two huge hunks of land, which is a bit unfair. (coughs) But when you think about Manasseh, the half of the tribe, It was divided off years before. It's likely, uh, I think if you look in Numbers chapter 24, 14, around there, that you will see that they had already divided the land uh, previous to this point. At, At least it was eight years before, at least, before this time that happened. So Manasseh is already having land on the east side, and now the division of the land is going on to the west side, over there, he gets it. The reason he gets it, because he, got, he has a double portion for being his dad's oldest. As well, he's got a d- double p- portion coming down from Reuben that comes into to his lot, allotment there. Now, you remember what happened with Joseph. He had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Jacob was elderly, getting ready to pass away on his deathbed. Joseph brought the two boys up to him. I don't know, they're probably teenagers. Came up to him, and here, he, here they are, and I'll be Joseph. I have Stephen on my right-hand side. Okay, it's Manasseh's on this side, and I have my second-born son on this side. My right hand expresses authority, expresses a right of rulership. My left hand, second in, in command, second in authority. Manasseh first, Ephraim second. And what did Jacob do? grandpa do he went like this like that he puts his hand of authority upon ephraim the second and his other hand on the left hand not such a blessing on manasseh that's what happened to him so we see actually that ephraim is going to be the one let's see i'll just back backtrack here right here ephraim takes actually the land of joseph Because Joseph doesn't get an inheritance, as you read through the text. He doesn't get one himself. But his son Ephraim, who's the second son, really the first son should be getting Joseph's land, but he didn't. He got it because of his relationship with Reuben up there. So that relationship was kind of twisted around. But there's a reason for it. In God's blessing and God's leading, all these things kind of worked out uh, through time. And we see that because right here, when we see this, further down history, 300 and some years later, 722, there's going to be a Syrian huge, huge, like the Babylonian Empire. Well, before the Babylonian Empire, there's even one like greater in those days called the Assyrian Empire. And they came down and they attacked Israel. And they attacked the northern ten tribes of Israel. And who was a buffer between Judah, God's favorite land, and the enemy of the Assyrians, Manasseh. Manasseh had that huge land right across the center and they helped protect the southern tribes of Benjamin and uh, Judah from getting taken away in 722. Now, they got taken away in 586 for sure. 605 and down to 586, everybody was taken out of the land with the Babylonians, but not at this time here. All right, now we're moving on to the second part here of we've seen about God's giving the inheritance and kind of understand why God divides it up. They throw the lots and they they come. And I presume they, I don't know if they had two baseball hats or two cowboy hats or two pouches or something. They put 12 names in here and put 12, 12 numbers for the division of the land over here and draw and pick. Pick here, pick here, and this goes here. But as we notice in verse six right here, we see there's no lot thrown, in, right? Did you just read anywhere in six, seven, and eight that they threw the lot and then up walks Caleb? Oh, I'm I'm I got drawn number one. Here I am. I'm representing Judah. I got I just got drawn. Where's my land? It doesn't say that. He just marched right up there. And he asked for it. Which is a little interesting, right? Yeah, that's a bit interesting. He didn't. I, now they may have, but uh, to, to my knowledge, there's no casting of the lot for uh, for uh, Caleb and Judah. So we see here that comes comes here and gives about the reasons for the for him to come up. First of all, I want us to rethink Gilgal. Thank you, Dave Gossett. I mean, Dave Johnson for reminding us about Gilgal. Very important place. They. The Moses brought everybody up to the land of Jordan on the east side. They, con- they conquered the area for Reuben, for Gad, and Manasseh uh, east over there. Three parcels of land were given, but they haven't crossed to go in to conquer yet. Now, they've just been in to conquer. Seven years of fighting. They're back to this point right here, ready to divvy up the land. And where do they go to divvy up the land? Because they had gone way north. And it was, went Kadesh Barnea, they went all the way up north. But they didn't stop. They didn't go to Jerusalem. Very interesting, right? You'd think they'd go to Jerusalem. That's a main key spot in all of Old Testament history. If there's a key spot, a holy city in this whole world, it's Jerusalem. They didn't go to Jerusalem to divvy up the land. They went to Gilgal. They went to Gilgal because that's where they went in to begin to take over the land. They went back. And they went back to the memorial. That is so key. They built the memorial there. That's when they got out, called all of the the, uh, priests to build, to bring the 12 rocks up there and put those there, build, build that. A place of consecration. That's where they circumcised all the male children, all the males, in the whole company of Israel. Thousands and thousands were circumcised. Before they started battling, they got holy. That's what the circumcision just means. We're setting ourselves apart unto God. We're His holy people. We're going in to fight a holy war, and we got to be prepared holy to go in and do this thing. Get the preparations done right, and go move on it. We see that what happened here, and then it's a place of fulfilling God's faithfulness to His people. God wanted to do this, looking over the whole land. If, if we had like Gilgal sitting about where, well, Dan's on the realm. so you're on the, you're on the east side of the Jordan. If we had the Jordan River right there, if you're in that chair right over there, that'd be Gilgal right next to you. Okay, Gilgal, and it's in the center of the land, looking to the north, looking to the south, and here we're going to divvy up all of this land to take it out. Conquest started there in Gilgal, and it, then the, the division of the land goes there. Caleb and the Judahites. This little picture, I wanted to have this up here because it's helpful. All right, this guy right here, he's Joshua. He's sitting down, he's, he's like the judge, he's the big guy, this, you know divine. he's the man in charge, the military commander. And this man is Caleb. And Caleb right here, behind him are the men of Judah. So that's what this picture truly represents here, which is in our text right here. It says Caleb and the Judahites came up to get their land. They didn't wait for the lot. They just came up pre- beforehand because as we, this section of our scripture from 6 to verse uh, 13 is he is making a request for the land. So why would he do that? Isn't he a in, being a bit presumptuous? Well, he is actually not. In this text, we read Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, now That's kind of a hard word for us to read, but then the next one is what we really want to zero in on, the Kennezite. Kennezite. When you hear an "ite" on the end of a word, think Moabite, think Edomite, think Canaanites, think evil. When you have an "ite on the, on the back of a word, Kennezites were evil people. They were not God worshippers, not the God worship God. They were from the land. His father, Caleb's father, was from one of these evil tribes of the land. So he's mixed blood. He's not a full-blooded Judahite, so to speak, from Judah. He's not. He has mixed, which is very interesting. We know that Jesus has a background. Rahab, right? Ruth, right? Bathsheba, right? In his background, it's not fully Judah, the tribe of Judah either. He has people who were Gentiles, but then they believed in Jesus, believed in God, and were actually listed in Jesus' genealogy. Just an amazing thing. Caleb was one of these guys. He didn't start out as a full-blooded Jew here. But he was the representative, he was the leader of the people in Judah going into the conquer of the land. He's the number one man. If you read in history, he is number one, even though he's a full, full-blooded Jewish person. Today, don't worry about your background. Don't worry about where you're from. You believe in Jesus, be faithful like Caleb, and he'll do amazing things in and through your life. Don't let our backgrounds hold us back. Caleb's a good illustration of that. It talks about him being that wholehearted servant of God. When they went in to take the land, 40 days they were in, about a 150-mile hike to do that. The time limit, when he went in as a young man to spy out the land, he was about 38 years old. He had to spin his wheels, waste 40 years of his precious life because other guys were sinful, and he paid for it terribly, and Joshua paid for it. Because others in the camp didn't believe in Jesus. Didn't believe in God. Take him at his word. He had to spin his wheels and I think in some ways waste his life. Though God was building his life. Same with Joshua. Now, at this point, he's going to take the land. He's 78 years old. 40 years has gone by. Like Dave and I are not quite uh, 78 yet, actually. You're not even, even though you're having a birthday pretty soon, Dave Johnson uh, Johnson. Not yet, we've got a few days yet before we're 78. Went in to take it, and he took the battle for seven years. And now, at this point, he's 85 years old, standing there and said, Hey, man, I'm musking, I'm ready to go. Give it to me, I'm gonna take him. Don't hold back anything. I'm the first one. I step up to the plate first. I know you didn't call me, but God already promised this land to me. Years and years ago, when I went in, you know, 38 years old, I went in there, I told you that we could take that land. God knew that, and he granted this piece of land, Hebron, to them. But he had to wait 40, almost 50 years, before he could actually go take it. And what was the Anakim? That, that hard word you are just saying? Giants. They're all giants. And also... I say archa, that means Chinese. So you go up to the hill country, it means it's the hardest position to take somebody. They had the high position. Military is terrible. You go up there, you're going to get slaughtered. He said, I want to take the hardest piece of land there is. I want to take the one with the giants. You give me the giants, you guys are going to have the rest. That was his spirit. It was a 38, it was a 78, and it still is at 85. Well, I'm pushing on 78. I'm hoping I'll be that way in the few more years. By God's grace, my mom's 89. I hope by the time I'm 89, I'll be the same way. You know, for me, I don't know about you, but that's I want to be like that. I want to be a guy that, that hangs in there. The conquest is in this high hilly place. And that's where he wanted to go to to take the land. This text verses 8 and 9 brings out two words the same word it says fully in some of your texts other texts would say wholehearted. The idea, the, the original word is his whole being, his whole devotion was just poured into it. What he did, he was full, he was wholehearted. We would say, like in days before, you called me a Jesus freak. When I was in college down there, I was a Jesus freak telling everybody about Jesus everywhere. You sent me over to China, I was on the street telling everybody about Jesus that moved out there. We had had our. our singing place out, we sing, we, we do whatever, pass out tracks. we, we live for Jesus because we're consumed with Jesus. We are wholehearted. Now it doesn't mean you have to be like me per se, but whatever you're doing, your housework, your grandma, your grandpa, your 57 okay, year old guy going to, going to seminary, be wholehearted, totally into it, be consumed with Jesus, be consumed about God's work. Lord willing, next year, I'll probably retire from the mission. Been with them 40-some years now. And I'm doing it not, I'm not, I love hunting, totally love hunting, and I like to go four-wheeling and stuff like that. I just love that. But I'm not retiring to go four-wheeling. I'm not retiring to go hunting. Hopefully I can do some of that stuff, but I'm going to keep going by God's grace to keep consumed with Jesus, telling more people here, telling more people in China, helping more people to be, be better trained as servants of God. I want to be consumed about that like Caleb. I want to be whole wholehearted like him. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, follows me wholeheartedly, I'll bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit after him. There's a wonderful promise way back in Numbers that was given there. That's what God's, when Josh, when Josh and Caleb came back with their positive report this is what God says. You are wholehearted. You're, do it fully. You fully follow me. Wow, what a deal. I mean, that's great. You know, when I die, I hope they'll say, well, the guy loved China like crazy. But I hope, hope, and more say, yeah, he loved Jesus. And hopefully, yeah, Paul about him, he's not so good a speaker. He's not so good at this. But this guy, he's crazy. He's wholehearted, whatever he did. That, that would be very cool to have that written on our tombstone. You know that? Wouldn't that be sweet? So the next one here in Deuteronomy one thirty six, another summary. Except Caleb, son of Japuna, he will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on. Why? Because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And we see it. I think he lived 100-some years old. Actually, it doesn't tell us in this the text. We know that Joshua lived 110, but we don't know about Caleb. It doesn't record how long he lived, but is up in the high 100s uh there high 110 or something like that. The inheritance was then granted, as we see in the latter part. It was given. <laughs> Joshua comes up and he says, yes, we recognize this. I don't think you're presumptuous at all. It was already given to you. You come in to ask me. You folks from Judah asking me this is a rightful thing, and I wholly give it to you. No problem at all we see that that was granted. Hebron, why would he take Hebron? Not just because it's the toughest spot in the land, but that is where Abraham, way back when, when Sarah was getting ready to die, in fact, he, she passed away, he left where he was living, and he went up to Hebron, and he bought a cave, and he buried her there. And then he was buried there. And then Jacob and Rachel were buried there. Caleb remembered his roots. He remembered the tradition of the Jewish people, the purchasing, the the, the gifting of the land by God himself. His ancestors, the ancestors of the Jewish people, were buried there. He wanted to keep that. He wanted to bring that remembrance and keep it in the Jewish people's memory. And he was willing to fight for it and get it. Quite an amazing thing that happened there. Okay, in summary, what are the main points of Joshua 14? Pretty easy, two two points. God was faithful, right? And I think, I say, that Caleb's testimony, he had a testimony of wholeheartedness two times he was described, and then actually there are five times that is, he himself is described as a wholehearted person. Amazing. What did the Lord impress upon you, or what is the Lord impressing upon you right now as you're sitting out here? Hopefully you're not too sleepy from here. Listen to me for so long. That's, how oh, Paul, please get done. Hopefully that's not what's impressing upon you, but what is the Spirit of God speaking to you? How is He moving in your life? I don't know. That's between you and He. And today, you know, just another thought to think about. We're grace here. We work and operate by grace and help us to keep that way. What ways are you living wholehearted? What are you doing right now? Not I could beat you around the you know I could beat on you if I wanted. It's no no. How are you doing it right now? Many of you are doing it every many ways of living wholeheartedly. You just think about it. Which ways are you? There are more to do, but yeah. What are you doing right now? We're doing good here, folks. Praise God for what He's doing in our midst. He's working among us. We have our problems in this family. We do. But God is faithful, and he is bringing us step by step, week by week along. We are finding him to satisfy. Good choice of song this morning. We're finding his love satisfactory for us. We are proving him faithful as we believe. He is faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you wonderful, 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 being of who you are. We love calling you Father. We love being your children. We love gathering together as your children. We love the fact that you are so big, you are so good, and you carry us along. Oh, Father God, help us to love you more fully and more wholeheartedly. Help us to continue to put you number one in our life in all areas, whatever that may be. Not for our good per se, but that you might receive glory and that people might really be blessed by our lives and not by, be hindered by our lives. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us to be continuous. And many of us are gray around sitting out here. And so we fit right in with Caleb and Joshua. Father, we are ready. We, we don't want to stop loving you and serving you, not to the end of our days. We thank you for your grace. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Well, thank you all for being here. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Dave and uh, Paul and Nicole for participating, especially. And then thank you for our AV team back there. So um, just if you would like to contribute to the Benevolent Fund, there should be plates at the back. And uh, remember, you're all invited to stay for a minute and and do a song for Gary and Don. So let me... uh, uh, give a few words from second Thessalonians 2 in the way of a benediction now may our lord jesus christ himself and god our father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word